The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurch.com. So from the very beginning, right, the very beginning, we saw a key theme of Matthew, right? And a key theme is we see from these bookend verses from Matthew 1.23 that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. That's Jesus, right? Emmanuel, God with us. This idea of God coming from heaven, his throne, coming to this planet Earth that he created. And then, as you guys, many of you heard last week from Eric's passage, Matthew 28, 20, the last words of Matthew. To the end of the age. Theme, God with us. This is what Matthew wants to say. He is, and as we theme this, what does that mean? Well, we think the God has arrived. And this is what Jesus preached from the very Matthew 4, 17. that you are distant and separated from God, and then turning your life back to God, living in his forgiveness, but also living a life that follows and obeys and trusts. words in Matthew 5 19 whoever does these commandments and teaches them will be called kingdom of heaven righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven he sets the bar really high guys live a righteous life this is what we find Jesus doing in his ministry repent and live a righteous life in Matthew 5 6 and 7 that was like nine months of our life, right? That is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this spiritual, topical paradise. If you're curious about what God thinks about something, you could go there and probably find out what that question you may have is. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, remember that. Listen to these topics that we see here. I'm just going to read them from the headings. We have got Christ's fulfillment of the law, anger, Lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation and forgiveness, how to care and love your enemies, giving, being generous, how to pray, when do you fast, where is your treasure, and how to lay it up in heaven. About anxiety, on the idea of living a life that's judgmental or forgiving, this idea of asking, this verse in 7.12, whatever you wish others would do to you, 
do to them the golden rule. This idea of living a life full of fruit and who is in the kingdom and who's out. And he ends with saying, build your house on the rock of my words, this solid foundation. Why? Because storms come. Jesus is a caring Savior. He has all these teachings and lives a life that says, follow my life. Why? Because he wants us to live a satisfied life. He wants us to live a right life. And what's a right life, friends? Well, it's living rightful in the kingdom is following, the, uh, following and obeying the commands of Jesus. We should do them, and it's really, really good for us. And as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, we, you know, Matthew 8 and 9, there's a few key themes that we talked about. Jesus' power, Jesus' identity, Jesus' mission. When we, come about, when we talk about his power, what do we see Jesus do, right? This God who sits on the throne now in heaven. What do we see him do? Well, we see him do miracles that go beyond anything that science could comprehend. Just healing sick by saying it or touching people. When there was a storm, what did he do? He just told wind to stop and water to stop moving around. And if that's not enough, when kids are dead, he raises them to life. That's the kind of power of this Jesus that we studied in Matthew. And one thing we find about Jesus' identity, and Joel taught this to the kids last Wednesday, this healing of the paralytic. The, remember the story of the friends who loved their friend so much he lowered him through a roof. That's care, right? So the Savior could help him. But what does Jesus do? He says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is identifying himself as God. He says, God forgives you because I forgive you because I am God. And thirdly, in this same section, we learn about the mission of Jesus. And Matthew has his own calling story in his letter, right? Matthew, the tax collector, who's writing this letter, his calling story is in this. And what do we learn about this? Well, this tax collector who's basically not caring for the Jews, but caring for the enemies by collecting taxes from his own people, Jesus calls that kind of person into his discipleship. That's crazy. But what do we learn about that with Jesus' mission? Well, it's good for all of us that aren't perfect in this room. What's the good of it? Well, it's kind of like healing the sick. He came to save sinners, Matthew 9, 12. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. This idea of Jesus saying, I desire mercy, what well, do you know what he's saying? Hey, I want you guys to love. This religion that I'm starting, or fulfilling is a better way to say it, is about love. And you guys are sacrificing over here, doing these sacrifices, all these rituals. It's not that. It's about love. That's Jesus. We learn all about his mission in this section. He's about restoration, regeneration, and rebirth. And that's good for all of us in the room that are a little broken, a little messed up, have some problems, that we have a God who's about fixing those and helping those be made new. In chapter 10, 11, and 12, we learn of Jesus, the one who was sent 
by the Father, that he sends out his disciples to do his work. They are, in a sense, the hands and feet of Jesus. They've been around Jesus for a while, right? And now we get to chapter 10. What does Jesus do? It's your turn, guys. It's your turn. And he hammers it, of course, in Matthew 28. What else do we learn in this section? Well, these were hard passages. Why? Because paragraph after paragraph wasn't just like, here, guys, here's some nice vehicles and a, and a business card that has an endless amount of money. Go do some stuff. It's going to be awesome in a party. Get room service. That's not the kind of sending. What kind of sending did Jesus give the guys? People are going to hate you. Some of you are going to die. Rely on me. Here's the good news. Great is your reward. Great is your payment for being connected and being the hands and feet of Jesus. So now we're in 13, about halfway done, and we have these parables. You guys remember these parables? There's these little, like, we were living in chapter 13 for like two months, just like doing a parable at a time. And it, what were these parables? Were there parables of the kingdom? How do you describe the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus does it over multiple days with multiple stories about things from seeds, soil, bread, weeds, treasure, a net. That's how Jesus tries to describe this complex thing called the kingdom of God. That's in Matthew 13. And then 14 through 20, it's kind of a bunch of things that were happening where a mixture of people are interacting with Jesus. He taught a few parables in, the, in that section. He spent some time with the Father in prayer. We see this like reliance where Jesus, our Savior, is in reliance of his Father. This is where Jesus loves children. This great and mighty God full of mercy, caring for the tiny children he has this hard teaching in this section to the rich young ruler that says, hey, if you want to follow me, get rid of everything in your life, give it to the poor, and come on. Kind of a sad ending to that story. But in the same section, one of the greatest passages right here in the middle of Matthew, the transfiguration, where Jesus, the, the, the God coming to earth as flesh, takes a moment, right? Takes a moment in his 33 years of life as a human being, seemingly limited, displays reality. And how does Matthew describe it? Well, Jesus becomes a star, like the big ball of gas things, like that bright, right? And he hangs out with men who've died hundreds of years ago but they're not corpses. They're like hanging out. And Jesus is like, guys, this is kind of what like existence is. You have this little season of life where you're in this earthly body thing. But what I know to be true is I hang out with all the saints like this. I'm a bright star. I picture them kind of like see-through men. I don't know how you picture the transfiguration of Elijah and Moses, right? But you're like, there's something about them, right, that is, is uh, they're maybe they're, 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 
They're in between states of something waiting for Christ to return. But there's something special about the transfiguration that we should like lean into right in the middle of Matthew. We get stuck, right? We get stuck Sunday through Saturday sometimes. Of like, this is it and the sores or the ah, that dumb shoulder thing, you know. Like we get stuck there. The transfiguration reminds us there is a lot to look forward to for the saints that follow Jesus. And I just love that Jesus hangs out with them. Like sometimes you picture like heaven like, okay, like Jesus is way over there and like humans are like over here and I'm sure it's nice and all, but like maybe you have to get an appointment or something, you know. But Jesus just hanging out with these guys. It's so, so rad. So then we got to verse 21, right? And this will feel familiar, right? This will feel familiar. This is, this is the last few months. 21 of Matthew, kind of like the last third, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, right? We call it the triumphal entry, right? We were just reminded about it at Palm Sunday. He arrives on a donkey. The people are shouting, Hosanna. The Savior has come. Salvation is here, right? This is how... Matthew slows down this last third. It's just one week of the life of Jesus. And what happens? Well, not only does he come to town, but he kind of makes a ruckus in the temple because the temple space that is supposed to be open for the nations has become a store with men who are taking advantage of the foreigners and exchanging money. And Jesus makes a whip and knocks some tables over and says his peace. We also have Jesus teaching some parables here. And one of the greatest things he says to us, which if you know our church's mission statement, which was loving God and our neighbors together, it comes from this great summary that Jesus gave us in this section in chapter 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Guys, if you're not quite sure how to live as a Christian this week, start here. Start with where are you at with God and are you caring for people? Now there's a ton of little things about life that can help you grow and be discipled in the truth and teachings of Jesus. But Jesus is saying, hey, let's just sum up this big old scroll, the Old Testament. Love God. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. And then in this section as well, we have Jesus winning some debates, saying his uh, feelings towards the Pharisees, so much so that they begin plotting to kill him. In 26, we have Jesus spending his last day with the disciples, celebrating the Passover, and then we get communion. We get the Last Supper. We get Jesus saying, hey, this hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to start a tradition for you for something that's about to happen. The brokenness of his body, the puncturing of his body where he bleeds for the salvation of men. In 27, as we just studied recently, Jesus is tried He's scourged, he's beaten almost to death and is crucified, nailed to a cross in the place of a sinner. And as we learned, that it's not just for Barabbas, but also for all who trust him. And lastly, in chapter 28, Jesus rose from the dead 
on a Sunday morning. The glorious king of the Jews is no longer in a tomb, but he is alive. And he talks to his followers and talks to Matthew and begins to give directions. And in 28, as you studied last week, he gave them this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Matthew has shared with us the good news of the kingdom. I think he did a pretty good job. If this is what he turned into me and I was his professor, I'd be like, you get an A. Right. He did a good job at displaying who God is and the good news of the kingdom. And I just want to wrap up this series thinking about kings and kingdoms and us being American. Most of us, you know, picture this European king system. Maybe some of you guys picture like Wakanda kings, like African kings or Asian kings. You picture these kings in Africa. I kind of picture, you know, the, the, the golden crown and the big throne and that's how I picture it. So I'm going to use an example from the classical English feudalism system. It was in England from 700 A.D. to about 1660 until they got rid of it. They realized, okay, this is jacked up, right? This idea of a king, and, and you may not know much about this system, but we have a lot of stories. But under this system, this was the actual system in England, uh, the king, you may not have known this, owned all the land. So all the land was the king's land. But the nobles, the knights, other tenants, uh, they're called vassals, right? And they got to, like, care for it, for the king. And that was the top. The king was the top of this feudal pyramid. <laughs> so to become a vassal in the system, you had to have a, condom, a, a, a commendation ceremony, this act of homage, like where you were the vassal, and kind of what would happen with this would-be vassal kind of came uh, bareheaded with no weapons uh, before the king, and he would bow down and will of submission, and this is what he would do. He would, he would clasp his hands and go like this as an ultimate sign of submission, and the king would wrap his hands around the clasped hands the vassal would announce that he wanted to be the man for the king, and the king would say, I accept. Now, there are many things wrong, right, with this system. The main problem is the king at the top of the pyramid was sinful. He had his own junk, and a lot of it was because his dad or his brothers that he killed to get there, right? Like, this is a messed up system. And also, the people that came to the king with the clasped hands and reached out and said, hey, this land's yours, I'll take care of it. Those were sinful people. They were messed up as well. And it caused much suffering and inequality. And actually, America was kind of birthed out of this broken system. <laughs> but what if the king was perfectly just? What if this king at the top 
was perfectly loving. And he cared equally for everyone. Men, women, children, all races equally cared for because they were created in his image. And his subjects were given all the rights of his own kids as princes and princesses, just as if they were born into his family and from their birth. This vast inheritance was promised to them and was given to everyone before you. The king would sit on his throne and the children would live in awe at their adoption. They would enjoy their king, probably call him father. They would worship him knowing that it was all because of him that he paid the great debt that it took from becoming a peasant to living in the kingdom. And together with all the family, a great wedding would take place between the son of the king and his bride. And as you guys recognize, this bride is the church. And what happens at this wedding? What happens at weddings? Well, there's vows taken, and there is no divorce in God's kingdom. When Jesus marries his bride, it's this eternal seal, forever, a relationship with the king. Yes, this is the kingdom of God. John, another disciple, was given a vision into this throne room of the king. And I just want to read it. It's from Revelation 5. As we close up Matthew, this idea of the kingdom, this is the kingdom, as John saw it in his vision. 5.1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood... You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is our King Jesus. Amen. So since we have a king that as Eric taught so clearly last week, that has all the power and all the authority and owns all the land and everything in it. Because it was made by him and it was made for him. It is his. We can and we should give our allegiance to only this king. We take our hands, right? We clasp them together. And we hold them out. And often we'll kneel. And we'll take a position of one in submission. As a servant. And we allow God's hands to wrap around ours. And say, I accept you. Matthew 23, 11 says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, do you know what this is? This is the prayer posture of the church. They begin to pray this way. And we still do today. To give ourselves to God. When you pray... You're filling up like actual bowls in heaven of prayers that are a sweet fragrance to God right now. And it's this kingdom, like the transfiguration, that's, that's beyond what we see. But Matthew shares with us a glimpse. And my prayer for you, my prayer for my family and for myself, is that we live as humble servants we live a life of prayer, knowing we are in need, but we don't stay in this position. We get up and we walk, and we serve, and we give. This is the upside-down kingdom that we've studied for two years. May this be the heart and posture for dozens, if not hundreds of years to come, as this neighborhood church a body of faithful believers who believes the Bible and worship Jesus for generation after generation continues to live this posture out under submission of the king. He saw our need. The king saw our separation due to our rejection and our sin. The father sent his son to die for his bride. We reach our hands out, clasp together, dedicating our lives to him. Say, everything is yours. What do you want me to do? The gospel is the good news of the kingdom. Does that phrase make a little more sense now as we've studied Matthew? The gospel is the good news of the kingdom. I'm going to close with a few questions.
How is your relationship with the king? Do you feel that he has accepted you? You stretched out your hands and said, I want to be yours. Sit on the throne of my life. What are you keeping as yours and not the king's? Would you this morning give this away? And maybe it's a list of things. Start with one this week. Take one step and say, God, I'm going to give you this. Take it. Thirdly, who has God put in your life right now that's not in the kingdom? How are you going to share with him the gospel, the good news of this king that's ready to accept them? Let me pray. Father, change us. Search us. Show us where we failed, where we're slow and slothful, where we're living places in our life, not of faith, which we know is sin. And Father, send us out, knowing our true identity is a son and daughter of the King. I pray for anyone in the room who hasn't given their life to you. I pray they would do that. They would talk to somebody about that. and What it means to become a Christian and to follow you with their life. And I pray for many of my friends in this room who have areas in their life that they are not letting go of. They think they're happier, controlling them. That you would soften their hearts and show them the truth that everything is yours and you are the one who has designed the best way to live this life. I pray for repentance for all of us in the room, that they would feel bad about the things we're doing wrong, and that we would live rightly and seek your word, seek your spirit. It's in your name. Amen.